I don't know about you, but I love a story with a happy ending. And, you know, obviously there are people in life that, uh, that have to deal with uh, uh, kind of, I guess, starting behind the eight ball, so to speak. They kind of have to start behind or for, for whatever reason. This gives you a great example of that, of, of some people who were born with something that, that they, had, they were kind of behind the eight ball. It, it, life does not cater to dyslexic individuals. But I, I love a story with a happy ending because these people overcame those setbacks. They overcame those hurdles. They overcame a sense of hopelessness at times. If you are a person who made straight A's all the time, if you were at the top of your class all the time, if you were, I guess, uh, all, born with a silver spoon in your hand and you got everything you wanted, you don't inspire me, you actually repulse me. Uh, now, don't take that personal. You couldn't do anything about your blessedness and all your education and brains, all right? But, I mean, what really inspires me, sets my heart aflame, is when I hear stories like that. Because for one reason, in third grade, I was diagnosed with dyslexia. And they said that, Mike, you know, this is where you are and this is who you are and you need to kind of go over here and take these courses. And, and I can remember in, in 12th grade whenever I was applying for college and, uh, and my, my resource room teacher chuckled and said, you're going to college? And, and it was almost this sense that you don't, you're not supposed to go. You can't go. You're kind of hopeless in the whole brain category. So how in the world are you going to be able to make it there? And that's exciting whenever you hear. Now, I'm not, I haven't been a Ted Turner or, or Richard Bronson and started a business like this, such, such as they, but I love a story when people are set in circumstances that appear to be hopeless, but they rise above them. That's an awesome thing. And these are, these are examples, that, just to kind of open the, the series today, of, 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 of just kind of hopefully rediscovering what hope is and having hope in our life. Because really, a lot of the most successful people in this world, they did not come at the top of their class. It was interesting, a, a book I read a number of years ago, a number of years ago, so you can tell you I'm not very smart, all right, uh, a number of years ago uh, said this, that over 50% of all CEOs of Fortune 500 companies had a C or C minus average in college. Sixty-five percent of all U.S. senators came from the from the lower half of their school. Seventy-five percent of U.S. presidents were in the lower half of their school as well. It's awesome when you have an awesome story of, of people rising above their circumstances. We begin a new series of messages today on rediscovering what hope is, and I think we kind of have to put our arms around what hope is a little bit today before we can really delve into it in the next couple of weeks. But understanding what hopelessness is can sometimes help us to find out where we are so we can get on a road or a path or a journey of hopelessness. Because if we were writing our life into a story, the script that we would write many times would not be the script that we have. Sometimes we find ourselves in circumstances of hopelessness. And, and really, the, the, the examples that I just gave you are, are examples of people who were in situations in their life that they really didn't have a whole lot of control over, but it was hopeless in some respects. Some people would look at them and consider the situations you find yourself in just look bleak. Now, you may be in a circumstance right now in your marriage, but it looks hopeless. It looks bleak. It looks like it's on the way to disaster. You are living in circumstantial hopelessness. And I hope that you will not stay there. And we're going to be dealing with those very issues. And maybe for you it's financial. You, you are just right now one paycheck away from bankruptcy. You are right now living at the, at the edge. I mean, Christmas has come and gone. You're starting to get the bills in from Christmas. And you're thinking, what was I thinking? 
You're financially in circumstantial hopelessness right now. How do you get beyond those circumstantial, that level of circumstantial hopelessness? Again, we will be dealing with that. But I want to go deeper than circumstantial hopelessness. Because, I mean, you look at Richard Bronson, Ted Turner, some of these guys in the, in the video that we just watched. I mean, these guys rose above their level of circumstances that look very hopeless. I want to talk about core hopelessness today. I want to talk about how at the very core of who we are many times, that even when all of our ducks are in a row, and even whenever we're at the top of our class, or we're at the best of our game, that sometimes we might find ourselves, everything is working out. But we still find at the very core of who we are a sense of hopelessness. A sense of I am weak, I'm dying, I'm failing. And we have got to understand when you get to core hopelessness, you are getting to a very deep internal part of who you are. We're going to go in deep today and we're going to be, it's going to sound a little bit discouraging from the beginning, but I think one of the things about going to the doctor is the doctor has to give you news that sometimes you don't want to hear. Well, let's just look at our own lives today and say that am I circumstantially hopeless or hopeful or am I at the core of who I am? Even if everything was perfect out there, even if all the bills were paid and the marriage was sweet and wonderful, can I say deep inside of me, there's hope? Can I say deep inside of me, that I have life. One person said it like this, hope is the oxygen of the soul. If you don't have hope, you don't have oxygen. Thomas Fuller said, if it were not for hope, the heart would break. Literally, one study, 122 men, they studied that had experienced a heart attack. Doctors lined them up. They obviously didn't line them up, but they did, they did their study and looked at the, each, each patient individually. 122 different men having a heart attack. They found, out of the 122 uh, different men, they found the most pessimistic men and the most hopeful men. And they lumped them in the top 25 hopeful men and the, top 20, or the lowest 25 in, in, in despair and hopelessness. And they then monitored them. They gave them through the same treatment. They gave them the same medicines or whatever their body required. They put them on the same diet regimen and so forth. They monitored them as close as they could. And the interesting thing that they found, that those lower 25, the 25 men out of the 122 that were of the most pessimistic circumstances, the most hopelessness in their life, within eight years, 21 of the 25 died. Interesting, though, when you turn it over and they studied the same 20 of the 25 that were the hopeful men, the hope-filled, the optimistic ones, in eight years, six out of 25 died. I think the moral of that story, of that study is, is that without hope, your life is short. They go on to say that, that, that loss of hope increased the odds of death more than 300%. The study goes on to say that hopelessness predicted death more accurately than the medical risk factor, including blood pressure, amount of damage of the heart, and cholesterol levels. That if they didn't have hope, they didn't move forward. David Livingston is my mentor and hero, I guess, in the mission field. and Took the gospel across Africa, was the first to go into what was the dark continent, unexplored, undeveloped continent of Africa in the early years. But he said this, he said, of the, and he, his, David Livingston was a man who died of blackwater fever. 
in Zambia. His heart was buried there. It's a whole amazing story. I could tell you all about him. But he came across his own finding one time in a, in a village. He said, the strangest disease I have seen in this country seems really to be brokenheartedness. Brokenheartedness. Hopelessness in their own life. It wasn't malaria. It wasn't blackwater fever. It was hopelessness. It was a broken heart. You can live 40 days without food. We know that. You can live three, four days without water. We know that. You can live minutes without air. But I believe you begin to die when you don't have hope. And again, I don't know where you're at today. If you have all the hope and you're just bubbling over and you can spill it over into other people's life, then great, do it. You can be the, the, the minister of hope in people's lives. But you may be looking at your circumstances today and you may say, you know what, my marriage, my job, my, my life, my, my money, my, my whole sense of purpose in life, and we're going to be dealing with all of these in the next few weeks. The circumstantial issues of hopelessness, you know, I'm, I'm there, Mike. I think we need to go, before we go to the circumstances, we have got to address the core. And whether or not at the very core do I have even the seed and the beginning of hope in my life. Because hope is like death. Hopelessness is like death in our life. Take your Bibles and be turning to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Over the past, I think, year and a half, this has been one of the passages that I find myself going back to constantly. Just to remind me of where I've been, where I am, and where I'm going. It helps me to understand and to gain some perspective on life whenever I look at this. Because I think the question needs to be put before us today is, how is a person to move from hopelessness to life-giving hope? Because without hope, you, 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 you just begin to die. But when there is hope, there is life that's somehow on the other side of that. So how is it that I can move from hopelessness to hope? And I think he tells us in very... Simple ways here, three things that we need to three ways that we need to face hopelessness. And we're not going to face hopelessness in a pill. We're not going to face it in a more expensive vacation or a nicer car. We're not going to deal with hopelessness in the in those external peripheral things. We're going to have to go to the core. Do I have hope at my very core, at my very essence? And let's build out from that. The first way we're going to deal with hopelessness is that we must stare death in the face. Stare death in the face. Own up to it, look at it, deal with it. Am I in a state of hopelessness? Do I know somebody in a state of hopelessness at the core? You say, I'm not hopeless. I just don't have hope. Well, let's say that's hopelessness. I'm not saying that there's no hope for you, hopelessness. I'm just saying that right now in my life, there isn't any hope there. In my marriage, in my finances, there isn't any, in my very core essence of who I am, there isn't presently any hope there. I'm not saying that you can't have hope. That's that pessimistic frame of mind. I'm saying, is there any present, resident hope in my life? Because here in this passage of Scripture, he talks about hopelessness in our own lives. And I think the first thing that we've got to do if we're going to look at the killer of hopelessness is that we've got to stare at it face to face. The thing is that when we do it, we're going to end up looking at ourselves in the mirror. And that's where a lot of people don't realize that's where you start with hopelessness. That's where you start with hope. 
is looking at yourself face to face in the mirror and saying, is Mike McDaniel full of hope? Is Mike McDaniel the problem for his lack of hope in his own life? I've got to stare at it. I've got to look at it. I've got to study it. I've got to own up to it. I've got to realize that I might be my own problem. That I might be my own issue that I need to deal with. And a lot of people don't want to look at it. Again, you say, Mike, you just talk about pessimistic and optimistic. That's pessimistic. Hang with me. You've got to do an honest assessment first. And a lot of people don't want to do this honest. Chuck Colson tells the story of, you know, Chuck Colson was with Richard Nixon in his cabinet and was a leader in the cabinet and ended up being a part of the Watergate scandal and spent time in jail and while he was in jail became a follower of Christ. In fact, he really popularized the word born again because he wrote his autobiography and he titled it Born Again. So he talked about being born again in prison and how the difference it made in his life and, and so forth. Well, he's sitting here in, in Hong Kong with, uh, in this bank executive suite over lunch. And he's got ten people at the table with him. And they're all talking their big muckety-muck talk. And, and the chairman of the Lloyds of London is there. And this bank president is there. And this bank president. Well, the wife of the chairman of the Lloyds of London was sitting across the table from Chuck when she asked Chuck this question. Chuck, you're one of those preachers, but you're also very well read. He said, how is it that you are not one of those hellfire and damnation preachers, are you? And he said, what do you mean by that? She said, you're not one of those who who tries to call people sinners or calls people any kind of sort of of hell, fire kind of preacher, are you? And he said, have you ever thought about yourself? Again, pause right there for just a moment. What did I just say? Before we can understand hope and hopelessness, we've got to understand ourselves. So what what does Chuck do to this table of dignitaries and muckety-mucks? He turns and he says, have you ever thought about yourself? Everybody got real silent around the table at that moment, he tells the story. As he goes on, he says, are people naturally good or are they naturally bad? Are they neutral? He says, I don't believe they're neutral. He goes on and he talks about how there is a, there's been studies that have been done where, where people have been put in rooms and, and, and given two options, one being good, one being bad. He says, we're going to shut the door behind. You choose whichever one you want. It's all completely yours, your choice. Nobody's looking. Nobody's going to hold you accountable. The two choices are yours. One is right, one is wrong. You make the choice. And they said that every time that study was done, everybody chose at least looked at the option under the wrong option. They at least wanted to consider that as a real option. Chuck goes on and says that, consider your life. Which one are you? She says, I'm neutral. I says, I'm neither good or I'm bad. And he said, and the conversation kind of deteriorated at that point. He said, I don't want to ruin our lunch, but I really think if you would look at yourself, you would see that you are more like Adolf Hitler than you are like Jesus Christ. And see, the reality of us is, is that we may have some good qualities. We may have some good tendencies. The reality is, is that we're struggling on the inside. That we are by nature and by choice. Here, get this life principle down. We are by nature and choice sinners. We are by nature and choice sinners. I, 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 I just, I'm born into this. 
there's none righteous, not even one, the Bible says. There's not anybody perfect out there. Listen, I'm not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I'm a sinner. It's my very nature. I'm not a liar because I lie. I lie because I'm a liar. Get it? It's just a part of who I am. And I have to realize that from the very beginning. It, take your Bibles and your Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to look at uh, verse 1. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. So what roadmap were you following? You were following the roadmap of this world. You were doing just what came natural to you. According to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit is now working in sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and the mind, and by nature, children of wrath. That's a horrible story. But the reality is that my very core, there's death. My very core, there is lifelessness. You know, it's not the issues from the outside that's going to mess up Mike McDaniel. It's the issues on the inside. Mark chapter 7, verse 15 says, Nothing outside of man will make him unclean by, go, by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of the man that makes him unclean. That's what is the danger of it all. At my core, am I hopeless? Because if I don't deal with the very core of who I am, then I'll never find the hope that I could possibly have. But I want to lead you to the second thing. If we're going to face hopelessness, we must face it head on, looking at death. And that may mean looking in a mirror. It will mean looking in a mirror. It will mean doing an honest assessment of who I am at my very core, in my very essence. But if I'm going to get past that, here's the next one. We need to meet God face to face. The second way we're going to face hopelessness is we've got to meet God face to face. Verse, verse, verse 4. I, I, I love this, this, this statement. You've got to underscore it. He's just got through giving us all this horrible, nasty assessment of who we are. But in verse 2 he says, But God, being rich in mercy. But God. Being rich. What's your first encounter with God? See, when your first encounter with God, you think maybe if I'm this horrible, no good, rotten scoundrel that Mike has just pointed out and Paul has just written about, you know, if that's who I am, then really when, God, when I meet God, He's going to slap me. He's going to bolt me with lightning. He's going to have fire in His hands and He's going to say, you, you get out of here. You want to know what the fragrance of God is? The aroma of God, that you, your first encounter with God will not be His, His, His mighty hand smashing you like a, like a bug. His mercy. But God being rich in mercy. Keep reading with me. Because of His great love in which He loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions. He loved us while we were still sick and dying, still following after ourselves. I want you to say this phrase with me. But God. Say it. Say it again. Say it again. I don't care where you are in your life. I don't care hope is high, hope is low. I don't care if you're bubbling over. 
or you're sucking the tank dry. I want you to be able to, in your heart and in your mind, be able to say, but God. You know, yeah, okay, I've been following after my own ways and doing my own thing, and I've been children of wrath, as he talked about. I've been all of that, but God. Be rich in mercy. Would you say that phrase? But God, being rich in mercy. Say it again. Say it again. I want you to close your eyes now. I want to pray for you. Dear Jesus, Everyone in this room, myself included, must come to a point in our lives when we realize we are our own problem. At our very core, at our very essence, at our very decision-making processes, we might be our greatest enemy. Because we've followed the ways of this world. We've acted like children of wrath, children of Satan at times in our life. But you, God, you, you, you are rich in mercy. You are overflowing in mercy. No matter how deep our debt, your wealth was so much greater Your mercy is powerful. It's awesome. It's unattainable. But it is a gift from you. But God, being rich in mercy. Father, I say thank you on behalf of everyone in this room today that if it were not for your mercy, we couldn't live with hope. There would be no hope without you. I pray that everybody in this room would leave here today not with a feeling, a sense of hope, but with a present, very resident God in us reality of hope. Lord, do an amazing thing right here, right now. Pray this in Jesus' name. Pascal, a French apologist, said like this. He said, knowing God without knowing your own wretchedness makes for pride. Knowing our own wretchedness without knowing God makes for despair. Knowing Jesus Christ strikes the balance Because He shows us both God and our own wretchedness. When I understand that, yes, I have been hopeless, yes, I have been wretched, but God, being rich in mercy, has accepted me, has loved me. What all has He done? Look at this. Look at look at this. Just start underscoring in in verse in in your Bible, verse four again. Because His great love, underscore His great love, which He loved us, underscore loved us, 
even when we were dead in transgressions, made us alive, underscore made us alive together with Christ, and raised us up, underscore raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him, underscore seated us. Here's a place at the table with Him. That's the kind of God we have. That's the kind of hope I can have is that there's a place at the table with Him. He's going to lift me up. He's going to love me. He's going to accept me. Verse 7 says, In in order that this age uh, to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us. Underscore kindness toward us. Wow! Verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. See, what happens is he turns everything on the dime. I mean, here we are, we're wretched, we're dead, we're, we're dead in our trespasses, we're like children of Satan, but God rich in mercy. But God rich in mercy loved us, accepted us, made a place for us, showed his kindness to us. That is hope. You want, you want to have hope in your life? Stare hopelessness in the face. Stare death in the face and say, listen, I am through being a dead man walking. And how are you going to do that? You stare God face to face. And when you encounter God face to face, you might think He's going to zap you, strike you, knock you down, knock you out. But He's going to actually embrace you with His mercy. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27 says. Christ in you, the hope of glory. What's your story? Have you had an encounter with God like that? I hope you have. Because I want to tell you the third thing that we're going to do if we're going to move past hopelessness, we're going to face hopelessness head on. You've got to face death. Death is many times just within yourself. You've got to face it. You've got to face God face to face. But here's, here's another one. Here's the beauty. Number three, face for the future with hope. Face for the future with hope. Don't live the life of a dead man. Don't live the life of emptiness and shallowness and chasing the world. Don't live so shallow and so empty. Live with meaning and purpose. Realize that God, when He made you, He crafted you, He formed you, now, this is just way beyond me. Okay, blows my circuits of my mind, which doesn't take much, but blows them. When I think for a moment that Mike McDaniel's little life on this big earth, in this big galaxy, over this extended period of time, since time began, that God actually crafted a plan for me. He actually had my hands, my feet, my personality, my body, my mind crafted for something for Him. And if there's something really big out there that He wants me to be in on that involves Him. You think, Mike, where do you get all this? Verse 10, for we are His workmanship. Just think about that. You're a piece of clay in His hands. He's shaping, making, molding you. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which what? He prepared beforehand that we should walk in them wow you mean before time began god knew mike mcdaniel before time began god knew mike mcdaniel crafted a plan for mike mcdaniel and then crafted a body to go in that plan yep 
beforehand. Before all time began, He did that. Now here's the problem. When I'm over here doing my own thing, living my own life, calling my own shots, I'm not living His plan. When I get on His track, and I embrace His mercy, and I live in His kindness, and I'm sitting at His table, and I'm walking with Him on my land, now I'm His workmanship really becoming what I should become. I'll tell you a story, and this is kind of, I, I guess maybe, I might call it the theme verse of the entire series. We may read it every week, I don't know. But let me tell you the story behind it before we read it. It, it, it goes way back to the exile, back whenever uh, Israel had been living basically over here doing their own thing, calling their own shots. God had warned them, He said, he sent all the prophets. He sent all the prophets to warn him. Listen, guys, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to have to punish you. You're not living the way you should be. They don't. They go on and keep doing their own thing. God says, I love you, so I can't let you stay like that. So I'm going to bring you. I'm going to put you next to Babylon. Oh, my land. Babylon becomes their ruler. Babylon comes in, steals all their wealth, takes all their women, takes them and divides them up. They didn't want them to be able to rally together and to kind of be an, a, a force against Babylon. So they said, okay, all right, we're going to take a 1,000 of you and 10,000 of you and 4,000 of you. We're going to put you there, you there, you there. We're going to control you. They put them in exile. They were dominated by Babylon. Now, later on, Assyria takes over Babylon, so then they dominate them. And Long story, but I want to just focus on the whole Babylonian domination for a moment. Because Jeremiah was the prophet during this goings on okay all this was going on what was the message that god had to them god had for them at this time i want us to read this verse together out loud jeremiah 29 11 for i know the plans i have for you declares the lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future plans to give you hope and a future plans to give you hope and a future. God has a wonderful plan for your life if you want to live in it. God is making you and shaping you and crafting you into something beautiful if you'll live in it. But if we continue to live over here in our plan, we'll miss it. There were times in my life growing up that I looked and I saw hopelessness living with multiple fathers, um, having family. I can remember this holidays remind me of this too. When I get together with step families, remind me of growing up and getting together with this step cousin whom I don't even know their name. I mean, you're my cousin, I guess. You know, I don't like you and you don't like me. I can, I can remember, well, you're not like my former cousins that are no longer here. And I can, I can just remember that sense of, gosh, hated that. I can, I can remember not being good in school. Hated it. All those circumstantial things. All those circumstantial senses of hopelessness. But I can remember when God, in 1985, I can nearly take you to the place. I can nearly take you to the place. Well, it happened multiple times, actually. I could take you to several places. When God began in the midst of my, because I've made a lot of bad decisions at that point. But God just kind of reached down and said, Mike, I've got a big plan for you. 
I have molded you and shaped you and created you and called you and had a plan for you before the foundations of this earth. I got a plan for you. I've shaped your life to to invest into other people's lives. I've shaped your life to, to live on the other side of the world. I've got a plan for you to come back. I've got a plan for you. And you know what? In 1985, what was going on in my heart at that time? I was coming alive. He was coming alive with hope. He was coming alive with a sense of destiny. He was coming alive with a sense of, I have a future. I'm not going to continue to live in the same cycle that has been modeled in my previous life. It's been modeling, uh, not reincarnation, if you listen to this on CD, okay? Uh, in my previous, prior to that kind of life, I was going to live differently. You know, my story is not the story of the person who was a drug dealer and a pimp and a prostitute and lived in the gutters and God rescued me. I just lived a normal life. But I can still say that God spoke into my life future and hope. And when He did, it made all the difference in my life. It began to turn my life around and give me a focus. But you know what? Every one of us in this room has got to do. We have got to face our own death within. We've got to face our own lostness, our own lifelessness, our own following after this world if we're ever going to get to the core problem. And the only way you're truly going to do that truly to the core is to meet God. What are you going to encounter when you meet God? You're going to encounter His mercy. You're going to encounter His mercy, His grace, His kindness, His love, His acceptance, a place at the table. You know what hope is going to be like? Hope is going to be like when you get up tomorrow morning and you're, 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 you put aside the death life. You've taken on Christ's mercy. You're going to get up and your shoulders are going to stand a little taller and you're going to walk a little faster and you're going to live a little brighter and there's going to be a whole lot more hope inside of you because yeah, now you know that your life is not in your own destiny. Your life is in the hands of the destiny maker. But if we don't face death, if we don't meet God face to face, we'll never see the future and the hope that God wants to live out in us and through us. Would you pray with me? Before next week when Dr. Chapman is here sharing, before the next week when we talk about financial hope, hope in our finances, we have got to start with the core. We've got to start with the core of who we are, what we are. Have you faced in your life the stark truth, the dark truth that your greatest enemy may be yourself? It's not the boss. It's not your spouse. It's not. It's just simply the fact that you're living, walking, functioning as a dead person when God wants to bring life to you. 
We're going to have a time where we sing, you pray, you thank, but you can also respond. You say, Mike, I want to walk out of here today knowing God's mercy, living in God's mercy. I I, I don't want to live hopeless anymore at the core. I want hope. And I realize, Mike, as you talk about facing your own enemy and your enemy being yourself, that's me. And I want to follow Jesus. I want Jesus' hope and future in me. I want to live out His workmanship that He started in me. If that's you, let this be a moment right now where you just tell God in your heart, you can whisper it with your lips, you can say, Dear Jesus, I have messed up. I've been a dead man walking. But I want to be alive. And you are rich in mercy. You are awesome, overflowing in mercy. And I want your mercy. And I want to live in your hope. I want to live in your future. I want to live on your track, not mine any longer. Just pray a prayer something like that to Him. Father God, forgive us for our stupidity. Forgive us for our selfishness. Forgive us for our ways of looking after numero uno. Help us to look to You, God for our core hope, for the hope that that will rise above any storm or any circumstance, for the hope that comes only through You. We thank You for these moments. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand? Would you sing with us?